0: Jump right into the word. Thank you. Uh, hope. Thank you this week for your prayers. I had mentioned last week that we had uh, gone on a camping trip. We're here. We made it. We, we survived our first camping trip as a family. Um, didn't come without drama and excitement and a double ear infection in myself. So if I sound a little uh, congested and I've got all sorts of things going on from here up, but. Um, Don't drink lake water. No, I didn't really do that, but, uh, you know, there's some sort of something happened. But um, we are here and we're thankful that you are here as well. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Genesis is where we're going to be for the majority of the day. We'll get ready to get into our text. If you want to start flipping to Genesis chapter 12, we are in this series. In fact, we're going to. Somewhat in the series today, and I say somewhat because we're going through this st- series of uh, the storytelling God, and we have, uh, we have personally enjoyed the series. Um, if you haven't already listened to the ones in the past that we've done just the last couple of weeks, Pastor Greg did Noah, and then last week we covered Samson, and this week we're going to cover Abraham. But we've enjoyed it, and so we've decided this will kind of just be a, a lingering series. Every once in a while, we might just jump back in and tell a different story, um, maybe even on the, the Sundays that the children are in here with us. And so um, we'll, we'll revisit as we go along, but next week we'll return back to Mark. And so we're excited to do that, and we'll be finishing out the book of Mark here uh, just in a, in a couple of weeks. But as we have discussed the last several weeks, we know that God is a storytelling God. That He comes to His people and gives to us a story that He shares with us in His Word, throughout His Word. One, we would say, overarching story with a collection of many, many other stories. But overall, the Bible is a story of redemption. And so, we see this throughout Scripture. We see that... Abram's story, or Abraham, he has a name change, so bear with me. If I get Abram and Abraham mixed up in our text, just be gracious to me. But our Bible starts off in Genesis with a story, with the creation account. You know, as we see the the six days of God creating, and then on the seventh resting. And then we see that there is a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, who are in the garden together. And they, of course disobey God and sin enters the world. And then, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Greg's sermon on Noah is what happens next Is we see that God saves eight people, specifically at this time, from a flood. And yet the wickedness still continues. And so we are in chapter 12 of Genesis today, only 12 chapters in the Bible so far, and already the earth has been destroyed and all of the people on it, with the exception of Eight. And then the population uh, is replenished, and there are people there, and yet the wickedness does not end. And in fact, we won't go, go into it in depth, but you can look in Genesis chapter 12 or 11 that the Tower of Babel takes place, and you have now the people who are coming together, gathering together for the sake of making their name great. You can read that story and how God confuses the language among them and they're dispersed and go their own ways. And that leads us up to the story of Abram and how God uses Abram and how God makes a covenant with Abram. And so we're going to cover that today. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I'm just going to read the first three verses. If you'd stand with me just for a moment one last time as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. Verse one, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you And him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is God's word. Let us pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the perfection that we see in it, that we know is there. Lord, we ask that you would uh, speak to us today through that word, that we would hear these things, do these things, that we would receive these things knowing that you, Jesus, have done all that is necessary. Lord, we thank you for it. And we pray blessings upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we see that God, just in the beginning of chapter uh, 12 here, we see that God speaks to Abram and sovereignly, this is important, God sovereignly initiates a relationship with Abram. God approaches Abram. And comes to him and, and picks him out and says, I will make you a great nation. And so he has this, again, we're just coming off of this story. If you're, reading, if you're reading the Bible chronologically, you've just read that the people had gathered and said, we're going to make a great name for ourselves. And then God disrupts that. And then we meet, he meets this man or, or Abram meets God in this moment. And God says, I am the one that's going to make your name great. Not you. Not those around you, but it is going to be me and so God then makes this big promise he gives to Abram and he says that that from the there's going to be a nation that is going to come from your offspring, but here is the condition and so he he breaks this down in, in th- throughout the story of uh, chapter 12, but we see that Abram is not a Christian beforehand. He was an idol worshiper. He was, he was with all of the others that was running with his group. And God says, I need you to leave all that you have known. Leave your country, leave your people, leave your, your father's house. Leave all that you have, all that you know. That's the condition. Turn from everything. And just so you know, at the time of this promise, Abram is 75 years old. His wife is 65 years old. I mean, how how would you like to be 10 years into collecting Social Security and then find out you're going to be receiving, you're going to get a baby, right? Uh, I can't imagine like Abram, I mean, of course, excited. But at the same time, I mean, the scripture even says that when Sarah finds out about this, she is laughing at this. In fact, Isaac, the name means laughter. I mean, it was such a these two, this couple were were laughing so hard at the reality of this. 75 years old, and my wife is 65. A child, we'll name him laughter. And so God gives them this blessing, or he will later in our in our story. But we read that. Of course, this beautiful promise that God gives, that he's going to bless him, bless those that bless him and curse those. I mean, is God saying, I'm going to protect you at all costs, Abraham? And then in chapters 13 and 14, we see more of the dialogue, more of the story of Abraham's life, and we don't have time to, to go into all of it, but we do learn that he is, at best, Inconsistent. He isn't a consistent man in all that he does. At times he shows trust, but at other times he shows fear. At other times he shows unfaithfulness. At times he shows doubt. In fact, once he is escaping a famine and he tells his wife, Sarah, as they're going into Egypt, he says, listen, when we get there, I just need you to tell everyone that you're my sister. Because if they find out that you're my wife, they're going to kill me because they're going to want you because, you know, you're beautiful, (laughs) right? Ladies, how would you like that, you know? I mean, at least he like, you know, covers it up with, you're so beautiful, right? We're just going to, we're going to put it that, but I've got to protect myself. And if that's not bad enough, he does it not once, but twice. (laughs) And so we see that Abram is not always faithful, but sometimes he is. Sometimes he's faithful and sometimes he, he shows that in his desire to see the lost come to the Lord, he, to, to see them spared. We see this with his nephew Lot as he is in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and how he rescues him from the, his uh, soon-to-be destruction. And so we see, again, at best, a fickled Abram, consistent, inconsistent, faithful, unfaithful, doubting, fearful, right? Can we maybe relate to this a bit? Would you say that you are maybe inconsistent at times? I would say that I am. I would say that I'm inconsistent, that, the, my, that our spiritual life goes through these ebbs and flows. Maybe you've come here this morning and you are truly excited to be in the presence of the Lord with God's people. And if that is true, then I would say that I'm on the same page with you this morning, but there are some mornings that I show up that I'm here because I just, it's Sunday and I've, we've just got to be here, right? We've got to do our thing. We've gotta, and then the Lord will, will prick my heart and, and hopefully bring conviction to those thoughts. And maybe if you're just here this morning out of obligation or out of commitment, you're like, man, it's Labor Day weekend. Like I, We should be roasting right now. We should be doing something. Look, that's the inconsistencies. Sometimes we just don't desire the things of God. Right? It's awfully quiet in here. Isn't it true, though? Sometimes we just don't desire the things of God. Forgive us. And so we see that Abram is inconsistent. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 18 is where the story that we're going to really focus on for the, for the most of the sermon is going to unfold. So you can look there. We're gonna, I'm going to kind of... Jump around a little bit in it. Not too much. Genesis 15 verse 1. This is, uh, again, this is going along with the promise that God has given Abram. He's given him this promise and saying, look, I'm, I'm going to do th- these things and, and and here's the discussion that's going to unfold. Because he comes to, to Abram once again and saying in verse 1, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your reward shall be very Great. God is, again, encouraging Abram, saying, like, I am with you. Throughout Scripture, we see that God is with his people. He is for his people. He is not against us. In fact, the the Scripture says that he is not against us, but he is for us. I mean, literally, God is for you. And then we see in verse 2 that Abram is already expressing some doubt. He's already concerned about what's going to take place. And Abram said in verse 2, Oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. He's saying, God, I look, I I hear that you're for me and that you're my strength, but I still have I haven't received that promise that you gave me some time ago. I mean, he had awaited it, had been some time had passed, years had passed, and Abram was here. Hearing the promises. God, I know that you said it's true. But like I, I still don't have the, the, the stuff to make that happen. I still don't have the child that you said this blessing would come through. I like the promise, but I don't have all that is necessary. We went... Uh, well... So when we went camping this past uh, this past week, I'll, th- I'll throw this in. I'm, I'm hesitant because I'm afraid the sermon's going to go too long. But um, as we climbed up this, this hill in the in the night, I did, we decided to take the family up this giant hill at the night because I knew that they wouldn't see the top from the from the from the ground, and no one would complain about how many stairs we had to encounter along the way. I had been. And so we're going, and I'm hearing some grumbling and complaining behind us as we're going. And then we get to the top and we realize how beautiful and spectacular the stars are, the sky is, it's overlooking a lake. And we realize that the journey was well worth it. But had we seen, maybe had we seen all that was in front of us right there in that moment, we would have been distracted or discouraged. And I almost think that God is just in a way having Abram rely on him despite not exactly seeing the next step. Are you following that? Like, just because he can't see the very next thing, that the, that the next day is darker, the future he doesn't understand because the blessing, the promise has not been fulfilled yet in this moment. And God responds to him in verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. I'm sorry. Let me go to verse three. And Abram said, "Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my house will be uh, and a member of my household will be my heir." And so again, Abram saying, "Behold, you have given me no offspring." So he goes from this is not just the state that I'm in, but he's almost pointing a finger at God, saying, "Like this is kind of your problem. You haven't given me this." And now we can look in verse four and see how gracious the Lord is to Abram. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This, "This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir." And he brought him outside and said, "Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, "So shall your offspring be." Then look at verse six and Abraham, or in Abram. He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is important to our faith, because what what God is doing in this moment is God is declaring him righteous simply because he believed the Lord. He's saying, look, this is the word of the Lord, and Abram says, well, I believe it. And God says, well, because you believe it, you have been declared righteous. He has been counted as righteous because God has chosen, chosen him this chosen him and so we know and we see throughout God's uh, throughout the counsel of God's word that he is perfectly faithful and yet we know that we are not and we certainly know that Abram is not just from the few stories that we've just kind of mentioned this morning and so Abram knew of this unfaithfulness that he had in his own life He knew of this this wickedness that he would wrestle with and this ebb and flow of life, how he would feel close to the Lord and then he would drift away and then how he would feel near and then far once again. And so Abram needs what I would say all of us need and that is assurance. I mean, he needs God to say like, God, I just need to know that this is what is going to happen. Like I hear the words that you say. I've seen you work in the past. I've seen you do amazing and wonderful, beautiful things, Lord. But I need to know that this great promise that you're going to give to me is going to be fulfilled. Verse 7, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I am to possess it? Again, he's asking, God, I, I hear, but how? How? So he has, so far in, in our story, he has been declared righteous. But how do we know? I mean, we say this week after week. We invite you to come to the table and receive the elements. And, and we will say things like, you know, even if you're broken, even if you have been, you're, you're wrestling with sin, but you're repented. We have to come to an, the, the place where we can begin to rest in the assurance that God is going to do the things that He says He's going to do. He, is, he has saved us, hasn't He? And so here Abram is asking God, I need you to know. Because he is wondering, he, or he knows that if this partnership is contingent on His faithfulness, then He has every right to be concerned. Right. If, if this is going to be contingent on, Abram's thinking, look, I'm, I'm fine with going into a covenant with you. I'm fine with, 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 with you promising me these things. But if we're going to walk in covenant with one another, then, there, then there's probably going to be some sort of agreement on my side, and he's concerned about it. In our own lives, we walk in covenants. I mean, take your marriage, for instance. I mean, I expect my wife to be faithful to me just as she expects the same, way, same thing from me, that it's a two-way street. We expect commitment and faithfulness toward one another. And here's Abram. You get the sense as you read the text saying, Lord, I believe you, but I know myself. When I, when I think about heaven and when I think about judgment and when I, th- when I think about... Uh, death and being in the presence of the Lord, the only time that I get nervous is when I think about just myself. When I forget that I've been clothed in Christ, when I forget that it is his righteousness alone that has saved me, when I forget about the things that Jesus has done for me and I just think if I have to stand before the Lord and give an account of all the things that I am qualified in, then I'm in trouble Aren't resumes hilarious when you when you turn in a resume? To, it's all it's worded in ways that we would never speak to one another. It's you know it's when uh, when we first started Mosaic. I was looking for a job and Greg and Ashley hooked me up with a resume. I mean, I had no idea I was so talented. And it wasn't, it, it wasn't, they didn't lie, they didn't lie. I'm just saying they are really good with words and they really helped me out. But they, but I was just looking through and I was just like, yes, that is definitely the way to say that. I, I, didn't, I wasn't just like sweeping floors, like I was like a technician, a broom technician. <laughs> so good, Thank you. <laughs> No, there was no, there was no falsehood to what they're doing. Please don't think I'm not trying to point and say liars. But resumes are funny though, because when you're reading them, you're like, "Is this, is this me?" <laughs> but to a God who sees right through you, I mean, you can sit in front of a potential employer and just, you know, say all the right things. I mean, I kill it in interviews. I don't know if, if some, some of you, I mean, I, I do really good in interviews. I can sit there and just kind of go through all the talks, chit-chat, go back and forth. But God sees right through the talk, doesn't he? He sees right through the resume. He sees right through all the things that we say like, well, God, look, I mean, I, I mean, I led Sunday school for, for nine years straight. So Abram knew this, isn't, this is a God with x-ray vision. This is a God that can see right through. This is a God that I can't hide from. This is a God who will see, who saw Adam and Eve in the garden hiding in their nakedness. This is not a God you can trick. I think that is maybe a warning for the church in general is that you, you can trick your way all the way to the grave. You can have the most gospel-centered funeral and everyone singing the praises of how obedient you were to the Lord all the while you were present in hell. You can trick everyone but you cannot trick God. And so God is in this moment, or Abram is in this moment with God, a serious moment, because God, or Abram says, God, I I need to know how to know. (laughs) And so God says to him in verse 9, he says, essentially, well, I'll show you. He says, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all of these. Uh, he brought him all of these, and he cut them in half. And he laid each of them over the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And so we read this, and we think, "Wow, that is a <laughs> that's a very strange request." You would think, like, God, how are you going to assure me of these things? And God's like, well, bring me a, a heifer and some, some rams and a, and a turtle dove. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? What are we doing? But for Abram, he knew that the cultural context that he dwelt in. He knew exactly what was going on. He knew the, the covenant that he was about to enter into with the Lord was a binding covenant, a binding to death even. Today, we enter into contracts all the time. We we accept terms and agreements without even reading them. We, we are constantly uh, going into contracts or going into debt or whatever it is, signing on the dotted line. I remember in 2004, I was in Washington, D.C. at a car show. I'm not a car guy, but I saw for the first time ever a Scion XB, these little boxes, right? I know I'm the only one that loves them, but something about it, it was like, I mean, love at first sight. Yes, I, I saw this thing, and I was just like, I have to have one of those cars one day. And I remember, I when I turned 18 years old, went down to the Toyota dealership. Was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. The first thing I'm gonna do at 18 years old is go massively in debt. So I was like, this would be a great idea. So go down to the dealership. I test drive a car. I'm working at Chick Fil A at the time. I've got like, I, I'm running all the numbers. Somehow, they approve me for the loan, and I know in my mind, I'm going to have like a hundred bucks left over a month you know, working at my job, and I'm sitting there, I've picked out everything, and I get ready to sign, and I can't do it, and you talk about like making a guy mad, like the, the, the dealership, the dude, he had spent all day with this 18-year-old kid who I'm not, I don't even know what questions to ask, and I'm just like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I knew that I knew that if I couldn't pay that guy didn't really care because they would just take it back from me. I knew that the weight was falling on me. You know, because that's how contracts work. The one who is, more, is far more superior is the one who is going to hold over you and say, it is by grace that I'm going to allow you to come into this contract with me. And if you don't fulfill your side of things, then it's going to be broken. It's not going to be good for you. Because if I missed my payments with Toyota, believe it or not, Toyota was not going to go bankrupt. Right? They, they weren't going to hurt. My name would have just been a number to them. It would have just been, oh, there's another guy that lost his vehicle. But 18-year-old me, I knew this is going to put me in a world of hurt. And so I backed out of it. And here, could you only imagine the difference in Abram walking into a covenant with a God who he knows is far more superior than him. And he's thinking, this is going to be a covenant that if we go into, like, I know he's going to keep his end. But he's concerned because he knows himself. And so he has set the scene and just imagine the scene. I mean, it is this, he's dug this trench and he's cut these animals up and he's laid it on side and there's just blood everywhere and it's its scary, right? its It's bloody, it's almost violent looking. And then the scene gets all the more ominous. It says in verse 12, and as the sun was going down, so just... Picture this. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful uh, and great darkness fell upon him. And this isn't, by the way, normal sleeping. This isn't Abram just had a long day of cutting up animals and digging a trench, and now he's just tired, so he's going to lay down. And fall asleep. In fact, it's a fun word st- study to go down as far as what this sleep looked like. But I can just tell you this he is literally paralyzed. He has fallen down paralyzed. He cannot move, he cannot speak, he is terrified. He knows that he is about to enter into a covenant with a perfect God. I can't imagine what Abram is thinking in this moment because, uh, remember, earlier he was just wondering, like, God, I just want to be assured of these things. And now it's kind of, he's kind of feeling like things have gotten a little bit more worse, right? Like, he just wanted, I just wanted to know, like, if, you know, if everything checked out. And now we're going to walk into some sort of covenant with one another. So He's terrified. Wasn't this supposed to be about assurance? How am I supposed to be assured through my works that this is certain death? This is what paralyzed Abram. He knew that he could not be perfectly faithful. If you are terrified, terrified to meet your maker, then you either one, do not know your savior or two, you just don't know him well enough. To know that he has covered you. And that when God, the maker, when he sees you, the judge, when he sees you, he will see you clothed in the righteousness of his son. But Abram here is, again, terrified, fallen down, stricken in fear. And this is where the story takes a, a dramatic shift. Look at verse 17. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Abram is lying on the ground, motionless. Then God does what Abram could never imagine. We read in the scriptures that God takes on the covenant that God walks the line that God goes between the pieces that it is God who takes the pledge and the oath of the promise Abram you wanted assurance I will make this promise to you that even if you fail this promise will be kept on my end and if not I will be ripped to shreds. This is what God is doing. He is saying, look, I mean, it would be as if you're sitting in the dealership and the, and the guy reaches across and says, hey, actually, we just got word. You don't need to sign that. Go ahead. Let me put, we're going to sign that. Well, what if I can't make the payments? Yeah. Like, you should make your payments, right? But just so you know, like, we're, we have, we've got this. Man, if that had happened to me at 18 years old, I would have grabbed the keys and walked out. Right? What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that the gift that God offers you, if you're sitting there thinking like, well, do I sign it? Like, what do I do? What, what, no, 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 look, look, it's been done. God walked the line. He took the covenant. He is the one. He did what Abram was so terrified of him having to do himself. He's like, I don't know if I can handle the weight. And God says, I'm going to carry the weight. God takes the pledge and the oath of the promise Man, what what must have Abraham, or Abram, have been thinking in this moment? Tim Keller says on this text that he says what God is saying to Abram, that not only will I pay the penalty if I do not keep my end, but I will pay the penalty if you fail. And so he gives Abram this covenant of grace to him and something that he did not earn, and that he knew he could not keep. He wanted assurance. Abram wanted assurance. He wanted to be 100% sure. And so here in this moment, we see in this story, this this great story of God's promise. He says, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you an heir. And this is the assurance to you is that I'm I'm going to put myself in the middle of it and say it's all going to be on me. The promise is fulfilled, right? Well, yes, but in Abram's mind, he's still existing without a son, without an heir, with his wife. I mean, he's even trying to take, even after this promise, he's trying to take things into his own hands. I mean, he has a a slave woman that he decides to have a child with, Ishmael, has Ishmael with Hagar, and and decides this is going to be, maybe this is what God meant. Huh? Abram taking things into his own hands. I'm just going to do it my way. And so we see in Genesis chapter 21 and 22, we see that the promise of Isaac is given. And there, Abraham, in his old age, can you imagine being so old with this child, that you have named laughter because that's what everyone's doing. But you know that this is a promise from the Lord. And God gives it to him. And then we see one of the most daunting passages in all of Scripture. Because God then speaks to Abram. Or Abraham at this point. He speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham? Yes, Lord? He says, "I want you to take your son, um, and I want you to sacrifice him to me." What a what an outrageous request! What, what a what a bizarre thing for for God to say something that that. Blatantly goes against the moral law that, that we know and see. That But God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac. I mean, he makes it specific so that Abraham, Abraham doesn't just grab Ishmael, right? And say, like, we're going on a trip. Grab your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. God, how? Like, again, he's he's seen this this, he's heard this promise, and he knows this. Like, God, you have... You have covenanted with me. The world is getting crazy. Does it seem to be getting crazier? I don't know. I just feel like every generation probably says that. So maybe it's just mundane and monotonous to say, but I'll just be a part of my generation that says the world's getting crazy. I look around and it just seems like there's a lot of confusion and a lot of Uh, disruption in ways that I don't remember seeing before. It can be distracting. And here in this moment, Abraham is being met with turmoil, with something that's like, this can't be, this can't be right. And yet he has to Bank on the idea, on the thought, on the belief, on the on his faith that God is who he says he is, that God is faithful. Listen, if you're here today and you are and you are questioning God's faithfulness because of you the current circumstance that you're going into, maybe maybe that circumstance cannot be explained. I don't know. Maybe there are people that come to me with stories and things and and they'll they'll be in a, in a horrible situation horrible circumstance, and I don't know how to get them out of it. I don't know how to walk them out of that. But what I can tell you is that God is still faithful. If you're here today and you have wondered, God, have, are you still faithful? God, are you still for me? I've lost this or I've lost that or my marriage is not what, it was, what I was hoping it would be or it's not my, my children are not acting the way that I wanted them. Or, my, or I, we, Money is so hard to make or whatever it might be. Or maybe you're just physically exhausted or in pain. God, are you still faithful? And so, what we do know is that when we look to Jesus, we see him in the New Testament, of course, on the cross, who bore that covenant, who kept the covenant completely faithful so that the blessing of righteousness would be given. The sins of the people and and what God does is he does exactly what he says he's going to do. Even if you break your covenant, I will be ripped to shreds for your unfaithfulness. Not just for Abraham's unfaithfulness, but for yours and for mine. I mean, in Genesis chapter 22, we see... That Abram has done, Abraham has done the thing. He has. It, it, the scripture says that he even wakes up early the next day. Some people are saying, you know, I've heard some commentaries say that it's because he's, you know, he's just so trusting of the Lord. He knows that if God, uh, if God is going to actually let this go through, that God will resurrect him. And then other scholars, which I happen to, to maybe agree with more, is this, that Abraham couldn't sleep. Right? I mean, he just gotten this news, and so the next day, he's like, well, let's go. You know? You, you ever have to just do something that you are dreading so terribly, and, and you just have to say, let's just do it. God is faithful. Maybe every day recently has looked like that for you. Maybe depression and anxiety has been so crippling for you that every day you, you have to just wake up and just say, let's go. Let's just do it. God is faithful. He is for me. And so we see that there's even a discussion that happens between Abraham and his son Isaac as they're going. And and Isaac says, Well, God, or Abraham, or Dad, where, where are we? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham has to answer, God will provide the sacrifice in his mind, knowing that he's staring at the sacrifice, his son. Man, the grief torment. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine as a father to look at my son. And yet Abram, Abraham remains faithful in this moment, and he takes his son, his only son Isaac, whom he loves, and he walks him up Mount Moriah And there it says that he bounds his son and he lays him up on the altar. Praise God that we do not, there's no recorded dialogue as to what Isaac is saying in this moment. Because I can't imagine. Dad, what are you doing? Like, this had to have been so perplexing. And then in chapter 22, Abraham hears, it has to be the the best thing. He hears his name not once, but twice. Abraham, Abraham, put your knife down. He stops him right there. He stops him in this moment and says, I've seen that you are faithful. This is not going, this is not, I'm not going to require this of you, but I see your faithfulness. and the story goes as they they look up Abraham and Isaac they look up and there's a ram stuck in the bushes and they they grab the ram and there is that that God provided the sacrifice he provided a substitute in this moment do you understand then in this moment as he has his son on there he takes his he's able to praise God take his son off of the altar and take this ram that God has miraculously provided and puts it on the altar as a substitute It's interesting that historians believe that Golgotha and Moriah are the exact same place. That the exact same place that Jesus goes to, the same mount that Jesus climbs to be crucified on, is the same mount that Abraham and Isaac were on. We know the scripture, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. And so we see that God is doing now again what he had asked Abraham to do. And the same with the covenant. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, Abraham, I'm going to look for you in your faithfulness. And then he walks through himself instead of Abraham because he's dead. He can't do anything, he can't move on his own. And there, Jesus, God's only son whom he loves, goes to the cross. And when the knife is about to come down, no one calls out. No angels make a, there's no noise. No one stops the knife. There is no ram in the bush because the lamb was put on the tree to become the curse. Are you you following this? That in Abraham's story, he is stopped at the moment of absolute devastation. And there, Christ on the cross, he says, let's go. There was no substitute. He is the substitute. The substitute hung naked by his hands and his feet while being spat upon and mocked by those whom he was dying for. Here's how Paul explains it in Galatians. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, for Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit. Through faith. Do you understand that that Abraham wasn't able to fulfill his side of the covenant? He was not perfect. He did not walk completely blameless before the Lord. And here Paul is saying it is Christ who has come, who has hung on that cursed tree for us to fulfill the blessing that Abraham was to receive. and yet we see in the scripture that the promise belongs to Abraham's offspring not, not Abraham's offsprings Abraham's offspring a particular people Galatians 3:29 and if you are in, if you are Christ then you are Abraham's offspring praise God heirs according to the promise heirs according to promise that we need to know today that if you cannot be perfectly faithful, to our perfectly faithful God, then all you have earned is the curse. Are you hearing me? If you, when Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, this is, this is the text that reformed my heart. I'm not kidding. I, I sat and I, I, I read that text over and over, be perfect, be perfect, be perfect, but how? Because when I read the word, it says, be perfect just as my heavenly Father is Perfect, and it's the same exact word. This, this drove me to, it, it made me terrified and it tormented me because I knew I wasn't perfect. I knew that, that even, I mean, perf- perfection, that means without any blemish. That means looking back, nothing could have gone wrong. I mean, I can't be perfect for one day. And so we know that if we cannot be perfectly faithful, all we have earned is death. Abraham had to believe the gospel just like we do. Galatians 3.8 and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations Be blessed. God has taken this man, Abram, and has said, I'm going to assure you through my covenant. He has taken Abraham with his son Isaac and said, I am going to spare you with a substitute. And then he has taken Christ on the cross and said, This is going to be the one who will be slain for you for the forgiveness of sins because he has perfectly obeyed me. Abram is not the hero of the story. Yes, he believed and it was counted to him righteous, but God kept his promise and he fulfilled it in Jesus. Hear what I say. To enter into this relationship with a holy God means that you must be holy. So let me I really want you to, to feel this weight for just a second. You have to be perfectly holy. Perfectly perfect to be in the presence of God. To 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 enjoy Him forevermore. You must be holy. The bar has not been lowered. The law has not just been cheapened. We don't just say, well, if you just don't drink, drink, curse, or chew, and hang out with girls that do, then you'll be okay, and you've got your pass into heaven. No, 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 no. There's more to it. Perfect holiness. That should crush us. To enter into a relationship with God does not mean the bar has been lowered. The standardness for holiness and righteousness has not been removed or lowered, but it has been met by Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.